Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. I want to wish everyone a happy Black Friday. And I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving holiday in the United States with friends and family. A big theme for our show is technology for good. And this is the concept of using technology to better humanity and impact lives in a positive way. I wanted to share with you some snippets from many of our guests on what they are working on towards this goal of using technology for good. And I also want to remind you ahead of time that for anything you hear today and you want more information on, Silicon Valley Insider can be found on iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, and our website, svin.biz. Be sure to download the podcast, and please feel free to subscribe. In this week's tech news, the SEC slapped two ICOs, Paragon and Airfox, with fines. The initial fine is $250,000, and that is because the SEC has made a statement that it seeks to balance its permissiveness and enforcement with well-established rules. And this is for any unregistered ICO. So for another reason, there's being an unregistered ICO that they were fined. The first ever drone delivery of a kidney is doing fine. The patient's great. And this is where the University of Maryland, led by surgeon Joseph Scalia, uh, used a DGI M600 drone to carry a refrigerated box payload uh, with wireless sensors monitoring the organ while in flight. And this is just a quicker way of delivering urgently needed medical supplies, including human donors. The International Space Station just celebrated its 20th birthday. So happy birthday to the ISS, which in total cost $150 billion, but doesn't seem like that much in today's dollars. A few facts. It's flown 136 space flights. It has had um, 18 nations involved, and that includes U.S., Russia, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, Denmark, and many EU countries. So happy birthday to the International Space Station. And finally, if you've been following your tech stocks, FANG, which is Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, including Amazon, have lost a collective $1 trillion in market cap in the past several weeks. And so these were the hot tech stocks of just the last couple of years. And right now, they're not doing so well. And that's the news of the week. Our first guest this week is Bina Amanoth, Global Vice President of Hewlett Packard Enterprise for Artificial Intelligence, IoT, Blockchain, and Data and Analytics. Bina was recently recognized as a top woman in data and analytics by UC Berkeley. In this show, Bina specifically talks about why she started her nonprofit, Humans for AI, as a way to give back. Her nonprofit is devoted for women and minorities to be retrained to get the latest education on a technology like artificial intelligence so that they can still remain competitive. What is Humans for AI? So Humans for AI is a nonprofit that I started last year, and it really began with the idea of 
you know, we hear a lot about AI eliminating a lot of jobs. But I also know that AI is going to create a lot of new jobs. Um, so that was one data point. And the other data point was there's continuous uh, awareness and there's uh, a lack of women in tech. There's not enough diversity in technology. And I have seen two major technology waves, the internet and mobile, which had similar impact where it eliminated jobs, but it also created new jobs, right? And my uh, my concern is that we are on this third wave now where new jobs will get created. And if we don't proactively train more women to fill these new jobs, there will never be enough women in tech. So what Humans for AI does is to be able to get more women and minorities into tech by educating them about AI. And the way we do it is, you know, there's a number of channels, but the most important part is being able to explain AI in simple terms to a non-computer science person. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't expect these people to become uh, hardcore programming data scientists or data engineers, but even product managers or project managers, that that also adds value, right? And it is so important for AI, Keith, especially because you are you are aware of the kind of biases that can creep in, and and we need diversity in the development of AI. And today, it doesn't exist, and it worries me a lot. And it's, when I talk about diversity, oh yeah, I'm not talking just about gender diversity. But getting people from different economic backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, it's so important to have diversity in the development of AI. And Humans for AI is really building out content and products which will help increase diversity in tech. That brings up a good point about how Humans for AI got started. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the foundational principles in order for Humans for AI and people to engage with that? Yeah, so... Actually, let me take a step back and tell sure. you how it got started. Okay. Because I I had this idea about three, four years ago now. And for me, it was just so obvious that, okay, you know, we need more women in tech and AI is going to create new jobs. Why don't we proactively train more women? It just seemed to add up. So I kept Googling to see, is there any companies, any organization focused on solving the diversity problem by actually using AI? And nobody was and that's how I said okay finally you know I just set it up on my own last year and uh, my hope is that um, you know it grains enough momentum that we can get more people more people educated about AI. Uh, so the foundational uh, idea around it is to really help uh, women and minorities who are in other professions educated about AI. So what Humans for AI does is we go profession by profession. So for a financial professional, we would explain all the buzzwords around AI by using terminology examples from their domain, meaning we would use examples for compli examples from compliance or fraud detection. How what, you know these are the steps that you would do, and this is what AI does and automates it. And by the way, this is what that's what is supervised learning, or that's what is unsupervised learning. So instead of starting with what is machine learning, you start with this is an example of how you process things. You know, explain it in that specific domain language. And we do the same for, you know, nurses and we do the same for marketing professionals using examples from that specific domain to explain it. And for me, this Humans for AI is really at that point where I feel, um, you know, it's about giving back. It's about making a difference to uh, by combining two of the things that I love the most 
AI, technology, data, and also being able to do good. Yeah, and I, I think that's great. This year's uh, one of our themes is technology for good. And um, I think it'd be interesting to go through the story behind the actual name Humans for AI. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's dumb. Uh, it, they were, you know, when I was brainstorming for uh, um, ideas on what to name it, I knew it was about building AI products and getting content ready f- to educate non-computer science people about AI with the focus on women and minorities. And we were looking at AI for good, you know, good AI. There were a number of options. And I just felt, you know, we need to show a stronger connection between humans and AI. You hear about a lot about how AI is being built for humans but you know we also need more humans involved in the development of ai also humans for ai in terms of empowering um people into the education of artificial intelligence especially women and minorities um, i want to congratulate you again for being named woman of the year in business or in data analytics um, from uc berkeley congratulations Thank you. Thank you. And, and what better person such as yourself to actually start this concept of humans for ai what are some of the forecast or predictions you have in the artificial intelligence market? Because, I mean, you, you definitely think beyond what the average person thinks, and you have this great optimism about you. What do you think is on the horizon? I am most excited about what AI can do for us in healthcare and in education. I mean, AI is going to be prevalent in all, all the industries, but healthcare, because just making healthcare accessible to all, and the same with education, making education accessible to all. And I'll give you an example, Keith. I believe that there is an 80-year-old woman somewhere in a remote part of Africa who has the cure for cancer in her head, Mm. but she has not been able to take it out to the world because she didn't have the right education and access to the right uh, people to be able to get that cure out. And so we're stuck. But if AI can make education accessible to all, I think we're going to see so much more solutions in the world. If you enjoyed this partial clip of our show with Bina, you can download the entire episode at iTunes, Omni, or svin.biz and CastBox. Stay tuned. Jonathan Nelson, founder and managing partner of the Hack Fund, is up next to discuss his desire to put shoes on all the kids in Latin America through technology. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svin.biz. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Keith Koo, or Facebook, KeithKoo.sv. And I'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today's show, in light of our holiday season and Thanksgiving just passing us, we're highlighting past guests who are all innovators in their own field with the theme of technology for good. In the first segment, we had Bina Amanoff talking about her nonprofit, Human for AI. And in this segment, we have Jonathan Nelson, founder and managing partner of the Hack Fund and former founder of Angel Hack and the creator of a VC fund that ultimately was worth $600 million with exits to Cisco and Facebook. And what you're going to hear in this clip is in spite of Jonathan's success, his heart is in reaching the unreached. How do you bring Silicon Valley capital to those that wouldn't traditionally get it, especially those in developing countries like Latin America? And so Jonathan will talk about how 60% of the companies he's working with are women and minorities and have access to this capital via the fund he's creating. In our earlier show with Jonathan, he talks about growing up in a missionary family in the fields of Honduras 
and how he became an ER nurse for 20 years before pivoting to software development and becoming a venture capitalist. We can see his missional roots in everything he does, including this fund. Jonathan talks about giving back to the communities where he grew up and how he created a crypto VC to Silicon Valley Capital. He talks about his goals in terms of getting shoes on all the kids in Latin America. And he talks about the tangible ways that his VC is going to give back to the community. And you can listen to the whole show by searching for Disrupting the VC Model with Jonathan Nelson. Though, why don't we talk a little bit more about how you got started? <laughs> it's a strange story. How far back do you want to go? As far back as you want. You can go back to the... <laughs> What is it, the, the fields of Honduras? So I was the only white child at the end of six hours of dirt road in rural Honduras growing up. Um, we then moved to this little known country called Costa Rica, and I lived there for 10 years. Um, I thought it was normal to ride sea turtles because the park rangers always wanted to take a fo- you know, Polaroid picture with a little you know, blonde kid. Um, but I grew up in this currency crisis in Costa Rica. The exchange rate went from 8 to 1 to 160 to 1. And so I just grew up kind of thinking financial, finance, macroeconomics. Um, I did this weird 20-year stint um, as a nurse. Um, I was an ER trauma nurse for about 20 years. Um, I wanted to major in computer science back in 1990. My dad was pretty convinced that computers were video game machines. <laughs> and so he said, you know, son, if you're going to go back overseas and do missionary work like like your old man, you know what? It was really helpful that your mom was a nurse. So I did nursing and then dropped out of Bible school and then um, found myself eventually going back to school 15 years later for software engineering and moving to Silicon Valley. And... Um, I was going to seek, you know, success, fame, and fortune. How do you build a company, flip it to Google for $10 million, and then retire back to Costa Rica and figure out how to get shoes on little kids? Um, And then four nights a week, I would code. And then one night a month, I would get together um, at a pub, at a bar with a bunch of my nerd friends to talk about building startups. And that event was called Hackers and Founders. Um, 2009, uh, 2010, during the recession, uh, the Great Recession, um, these Hackers and Founders events started going viral. We started seeing thousands of entrepreneurs from around the globe come to Silicon Valley, say, hey, how do I raise $5 million? Um, and that was really the root of all of those problems that entrepreneurs were facing around the globe. They kept on asking me, Jonathan, how do you raise money? How do you raise money? So we turned that into a business the last five years where we help companies from abroad land here. Um, we help um, them raise capital, do business development, immigration, housing. Um, I have a boutique physician on call 24 um, 7 in case one of my CEOs gets sick and they don't have U.S. health insurance. That's great. It's really interesting is although our show is called Silicon Valley Insider, we've mm-hmm. never made it about just Silicon Valley. Yep. We've made it really about reach. Uh, we have 61 countries listening to us. Wow. And a lot of them are the countries that you are getting companies out of. Yep. And I think what you're bringing is really unique and special because a lot of times people thought that Silicon Valley is literally out of reach and you're actually bringing it to them. Yes. And we're, we've been creating bridges from Silicon Valley to around the globe. So Hackers and Founders events, I mentioned they went viral. They've been held in 130 cities around the globe. We've had 300,000 entrepreneurs attend our events over the last 10 years. And what do you do with that? And you end up in the middle of this global explosion of technology innovation. You know, I went to go visit my brother in Guadalajara six years ago, and we go to a Starbucks, and everybody in the Starbucks had a little $300 netbook. And I'm like, this is not the Latin America that I grew up in. And these people had netbooks, and a lot of them were coding, and I'm like, this is strange. I had never thought of Guadalajara as an engineering hub. 
Um, we have a group of hackers and founders getting together on a regular basis in Benin. Um, we asked them how they learned engineering, and they said YouTube. So we have actually set aside um, 2% of our tokens. So we're issuing a limited number of tokens at first. It's going to be $100 million worth. Um, and when we finally do full ICO, it's going to be a buck a piece. Um, and 2% of that is actually set aside for nonprofits and community um, organizations, specifically focusing on entrepreneurship stuff. Um, so things like globaleir.org, which is a nonprofit that we spun off to actually help founder immigration for founders coming to the United States. Um, there's another nonprofit that we actually support out of Peru that teaches young women from really bad neighborhoods how to code and helps them get from $200 a month earning potential to $2,000 a month earning potential Huge. within a year. Um, so nonprofits like that are actually where um, the 2% of our fund is actually going to go to. The reason that I ended up creating this fund and structuring it this way is because I've had conversations with thousands of entrepreneurs and they're, they just don't get a chance to play the Silicon Valley game. Um, you know, it's really hard to come in from the outside, from overseas to land, um, to set up shop, to get connected with the venture community, to get connected with the angel investors when you're an unknown. Um, and, and that's a challenge. And for me, it's been how do I help my friends build their companies? Um, you know, venture funded startups in Silicon Valley, less than 4% are Women have women founders, less than 1% have African-American or Hispanic founders. We have, an app, we have an application process when people want to actually get funded by us. We remove their names, genders, ages, schools that they come from. So it's basically just based on what you do. Um, and 60% of our companies have a woman, an Hispanic, or an African-American founder. That's awesome. Uh, the Spanish-speaking world is 10% of the world's economy. Right. Um, that 10% of the world's economy receives $500 million a year in angel, venture, and private equity combined. Uber's last investment round was $2 billion. Right. So one quarter of Uber's last investment round is what goes into the continent of Latin America. A $100 million fund increases investment into Latin America by 10 to 15% per year. That's a tiny, tiny venture fund in Silicon Valley. But you, that will move entire economies, create thousands of new jobs, which means tens of thousands of families will be deeply affected by that, which means that over the course of 10 years, we can conceivably put shoes on millions of children. Why? Because we're finally able to start investing in emerging markets um, and giving these people um, the same chance that somebody else in Silicon Valley has. Um, in my mind, that's what's worth, what's worth working 100 hours a week for, and that's what keeps me going. Don't go away. We have Hugh Malazzi, former vice president of innovation at Intuit and the CEO of Ujama, to talk about his new book, The Entrepreneur's Journey. Yes, that is with an I, not an E. For questions or comments, you can email us at info at svn.biz or drop us a line on our website, svin.biz. You can find me LinkedIn, Keith Koo, and Facebook, KeithKoo.sv, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 7846 That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo, and in this segment, we'll be featuring Hugh Malazzi, 
who's the author of The Entrepreneur's Journey. This week's cyber tip, because it's the holiday season, it's never too many times to tell you how you should protect yourself as you're in this busy holiday season. One, you should always back up and update your data, whether it's in the cloud or on your hard drive. Do not post where you're going to go while you're using social media. So if you're on vacation, do not say you're in the Bahamas. Avoid connecting to shared networks with a caveat is that if you use a virtual private network or VPN, that's another degree of safety. Do not download applications that you cannot verify. And that's where you might be in an airport. It says download this app. Just be sure of what you're getting when you download it. Be careful what you connect to your team members and share documents, uh, USB drives. Always use two-factor authentication whenever you can. That's basically having a phone number or a secondary email account to back up. And also be very careful with your emails during the holiday season. You might be really busy. You might click on something you didn't mean to. And then you've just injected malware into your phone or computer. And that's the tip of the week. So I wanted to move on into explaining the entrepreneurship empowerment model. Where did that come from? Yeah, so, you know, again, the basic premise of the book is to be a truly innovative company, you need to empower your employees to work on their own ideas. Um, Now, for some people, that may be a provocative concept, this notion that employees are given time to work on whatever ideas they come up with. But obviously, there are several companies that have already gone down this route. In fact, Intuit, with its unstructured time, was not the first company. Um, So there, there are a number of companies that have done it, but... A lot of companies have struggled, quite frankly, with how to make these programs work well. And uh, what, given what we learned from our own personal experiences uh, and also what we learned from talking to innovation leaders at other companies like LinkedIn and like Google and like Atlassian, we realized there were these several components that you had to consider uh, if you're going to create a program which is effective and sustainable. Um, and so that's how we came up with these six elements so that people can have them in mind as they move forward. With the six elements, it looks like a wheel. Where do people normally start? So the first part is just, you know, doing what the premise says, which is giving, empowering your employees to work on their own ideas. And so we call that time and freedom. You want them to have time away from their daily job because uh, if they are fully uh, – focused, uh, or I I should say if they're fully allocated to their assigned tasks and they have a great idea, uh, they may never have time to work on that great idea. And so the time piece is important. But the freedom piece is maybe even more important because a lot of times uh, what may seem like a great idea to a frontline employee, their manager may say, oh, that's a horrible idea, don't do that. (laughs) And uh, we have lots of stories of great uh, innovations that companies lost because the managers didn't didn't support the employees. And so freedom is saying, you know, look, the employee is truly free to work on these ideas no matter how wacky they seem. Uh, and so that's really the starting point. Give your employees time and freedom. That's great. Empowerment is and freedom are really critical and important and that the employees have to feel that in order to um, feel like they could take calculated risks. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and you have to remember the the most disruptive ideas, the ideas that change the world, 
uh, almost always the worst sounding ideas, right? Um, and the, re- the reason that's the case is if they sounded great, then they probably would have happened already. Um, but, uh, you know, if you go back to when the, uh, the iPhone first came onto the market, a lot of people thought a phone without a keyboard, that's crazy, right? And everybody thought, you know, Steve Jobs, Apple's crazy, that's never going to work. Well, guess what? Uh, it's hard to find a phone with a keyboard these days. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, the list goes on. When we were into it, uh, there was an engineer called Colin, and he had this idea that uh, small businesses would want to process Bitcoin payments. <laughs> and uh, there were a bunch of people who thought, oh, no, 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 that's a terrible idea. Nobody understands this Bitcoin stuff. It's all speculative. Uh, we don't want Intuit dragged into all of that. Uh, but, you know, because we had unstructured time, he was able to get the protection he needed to actually go and test it. And guess what? It turns out, you know, Bitcoin has lots of enthusiasts, and some of them are small business owners. And they were really psyched to see, wow, Intuit uh, is actually working on a way for me to be able to use this as uh, accept payment in Bitcoin. Um, and so, again, many of these ideas that may sound wacky and crazy and that a manager uh, could kill <laughs> before it actually sees the light of day may be the very thing that a company needs to maintain its growth or go to the next level. So what would be your continuing advice on these corporations? How do they keep themselves as nimble as possible and open to these ideas. Yeah, and it, it comes back to just empowering employees to work on their own ideas. Um, I, I think I really believe the inspiration is not necessarily going to come from the top. Uh, as I, you know, we talked about earlier, uh, who spends more, the most of their time, of most of their day with customers or on products? Uh, it's typically frontline employees. Uh, and if you're talking about blockchain technology, who's probably the person likely to have spent nights and weekends studying blockchain technologies. It's unlikely to be a senior VP or an executive VP. It's more likely to be, uh, you know, an engineer. Uh, And so they're the ones who are likely to be inspired by these ideas and have have thoughts about how, uh, you know, you could create disruptive new solutions. And so what you want to do is just create a environment where they can work on those ideas. Uh, And, you know, when you couple uh, time and freedom with this lean startup methodology, it's very powerful because one of the things the lean startup methodology does, it says, look, to explore an idea, you don't need millions of dollars of investment. You don't need uh, years and years of uh, research. We, we actually give you tools you can use where you can start to explore uh, in a way that, again, is lean and efficient and learn whether, hey, there is a market for this idea, there is a receptivity for what you have in mind. Uh, and this way, uh, when you run your experiments, uh, instead of pitching ideas to um, management to say, here's an idea we should do, please support me. Instead, if you've run lean experiments, you'll have data. And the data hopefully will make it self-evident whether this is something worth exploring further, something worthy of investment. And that's really what we're trying to create in this culture of innovation is where you can go from a, uh, uh, an environment where decisions are typically made by HIPPOs. Uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with the acronym, uh, HIPPO stands for the highest paid person's opinion. <laughs> uh, and instead, go to data-driven decisions where it's whoever has the most compelling data, uh, that's the initiative that should get funded. Who's guiding them on the commercialization and capitalization of that idea? 
Yeah, so so typically what you want to do with these, uh, the, the best teams, the best entrepreneurship teams are cross-functional teams. So um, not just a team of engineers or not just product managers, but ideally you you have people from the, the different functions, whether it's legal, whether it's finance, uh, you know, whether it's uh, uh, privacy and security, because the, the, the notion is that um, as you're starting to work on an idea, you have to start to think about how all these pieces will come together. And typically, having a cross-functional team means you'll have the benefit of a lot of different perspectives and be able to make progress much faster. So the team itself uh, can, 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 can obviously work on these issues, but also, you know, when you think about, okay, what is the role of senior leadership in a, in a culture of an inv- innovation like what we're describing? Well, it is to be that coach, that advisor. And again, here we have to be very careful. You know, the coach advises, the coach, you know, if you think about it in sports, the coach is not on the field actually, right. uh, you know, throwing the ball or trying to run it down into the end zone. Um, and so the coach has to be very careful that they, what they don't do is take over the team. They don't start telling the team, um, here's exactly how you're going to do it and, and why. But instead, if they can play that role of giving guidance, and a lot of times that guidance could be, well, you know, look, here's ways in which the company can better monetize ideas. Here are channels that exist. Here are things that we know are easier for us to sell. And that can then feed in and, and help give guidance to these uh, entrepreneurship teams. If you enjoyed the interview with Hugh, you can download the full podcast on my show, The Entrepreneur's Journey with Hugh Malazzi on iTunes, Google Play, Omni, and CastBox. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Don't go away because next up we have Jerry Cuomo, a distinguished IBM fellow and one of the founders of Hyperledger. And also we'll have Jenny Dearborn, EVP of Human Resources, Talent, Leadership, and Learning at SAP. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. In our final segment, we first have Jerry Cuomo, distinguished fellow at IBM, who's going to talk about willingly giving up your data for good, followed with Jenny Dearborn, EVP at SAP. She'll talk about jobs. Or rights around your identity, right. your you know, information that you would get in a driver's license or a, um, or, or a passport, you know, the ownership of, of your identity. And that's really big right now in terms of uh, blockchain for good. And people, especially with post, you know, Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, and lots of data breaches that occurred in the last couple of years, this concept of self-sovereign identity. As a person looking to do good, you know, I happen to have high blood pressure, you know, I, I would love to lend out some of my personal data to help that, help other people like me. But also you can imagine a person in a situation like mine who may be having trouble making their health care payments, uh, insurance payments, mm-hmm. that if I can lend my data to a clinical style, maybe I can offset the cost of my health care. Sure. Right? So that I think a platform like Humanity to start building out a, t- a two-sided ecosystem or marketplace for data providers where that data is in sole control of the owner of the data, but also providers in a way that you can exchange that information uh, for good. What do you think is on the horizon for blockchain for good? I think uh, networks. And in the term, there is a level of isolation. Like there's a network to do 
trusted food. There's a network to do, um, you know, cross-border payments, trade finance. And I think that's a great way to start because you can. If you started to mix these up front, I think it would be an impossible problem to solve. But what I, th what I see happening over the next six, nine, 12 months is that an institution participating in one of these networks could use their peer to also participate in another network. So, you know, blockchain being a peer-to-peer -peer network, the peer being a gateway or a portal for an institution to transact and interact against across multiple networks. So this network of network effect, now that we're starting to see many of these networks come to life, the next logical thing is, I want to use both. I want to verify my identity on this network. I want to be able to, you know, check the quality of food on a in a sandwich I just brought from this, this network. This is what I see coming. It's the, really the interoperability of blockchain. You know, you need blockchains before interoperability becomes interesting. But right. if thinking ahead one step, we're starting now to see the first founders go live. In this segment, Jenny Dearborn, EVP of HR Talent, Leadership and Learning at SAP, will be talking about now is the best time ever to get a job in the technology industry. Now is a great time to, you know, if you're thinking about a mid-career shift or you're thinking about getting into tech, it's a great time to jump in because so many companies are so open to diverse talent and really alternative path talent. Silicon Valley is opening up. And because Silicon Valley opens up, I think many other regions and industries open up as well. We talked about how due to the hiring crisis, there aren't enough tech workers to fill a half a million tech jobs, or was it seven million tech jobs? Seven million jobs uh, across the country, uh, half a million tech jobs across the country, 75,000 tech jobs in the state of California. Yes, which is just um, a really large number. Of, and how do you fill that? And so we talked about earlier in the show how apprenticeship programs and alternative programs to requiring a four-year college degree are now popping up everywhere, and that is to fill this void. And so it's never been a better time to consider that dream career in technology, if that's what you wanted to do, and you were, felt you were limited by not having the right credentials. And even if you had a college degree, sometimes you might have felt you had the wrong college degree. Maybe it was in something non-tech related. Um, this is now your opportunity on a merit-based system to go out and pursue that dream. Absolutely. And so we're... Organizations are really looking for um, diverse talent. We're looking to open up the sort of the top of the funnel to get more uh, talent into the pipeline, uh, specifically looking to historically underrepresented minority groups. Um, the, the number one um, uh, prior career that most apprenticeships are apprentices are coming from is hospitality. I said before the average age is um, 35. Um, and really innovation starts here in Silicon Valley. Um, and the rest of the country are, you know, they watch us, right? And they are, they scrutinize what we do. And so if we can lead here, you know, we can really 
make significant change across the entire country. So it really is time for uh, for the United States to catch up and do right by people who do not follow that traditional four-year college path. Um, the the most likely roles that apprenticeships uh, apprentices um, take when they graduate from various programs is computer programmer, database technician, and IT project manager. So these are really great, well-paying jobs. Jenny, with the one minute we have left, what would you like to leave um, today's show with? I would love to encourage people from a, a, a huge background of, of diverse perspectives to think about um, coming into the technology industry. We need you. Uh, we're desperate for your diverse perspectives and your background. Um, diversity makes us stronger. It makes us smarter. It makes us more innovative. It makes us more productive and profitable. Um, we need you. So please reach out and uh, join us in, uh, in the technology uh, function and the technology sector because it's really a ton of fun. Right. And, and the resource to do that, to reach out right now if you're in the Silicon Valley, the California Apprenticeship Initiative. Google it, look it up, because like we said before, it's all customized and individual for you, which is a great thing. So thanks again for all our guests this year that have been talking about technology for good, especially as this is Black Friday and we're entering the holiday season. Any questions or comments, please email us at info at svan.biz. And if you want to re-listen to any of the podcasts, download us at iTunes, Omni, CastBox, or come to our site, svi.biz. And I hope you all have a great holiday season. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN.